You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, Quick strategic thinking is crucial, and with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown, and through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hey everyone, John Wertheim here with our superior producer, Jamie Lasanti. We're talking US Open and we are recording this Friday afternoon. If you hear crowd noise, it's because one of the players on Arthur Ashe Stadium, I'd say more likely than not Venus Williams. Now, Aunt Venus Williams, we're told, has just struck a winner, but we're gonna do this week's podcast live at the US Open. Bear with the crowd noise. Thanks for joining us. Jamie, where do we begin this crazy tournament? I feel like we need to constantly timestamp this because by the time people listen, many of these stories, such as the surge of Marin Cilic and Grigor Dimitrov, will be uh, obsolete. It's been five strange days, hasn't it? It has, and we are just about almost through the day session on day five. We are in an interview room. You may be interrupted any time by, uh, who knows, Ash Barty or Petra Kvitova or whomever, but uh, I, I would say coming into this tournament, we knew the women's draw was going to be wide open with Serena absent and profoundly pregnant, and that has proven to be the case, though I do think most of the favorites remain. I mean, Simona Halep playing Maria Sharapova was obviously uh, a crazy outlier. Sharapova wins that match, wins her next match, and as we record this, is. I think has to probably get suddenly enter that contender department, but I think Muguruza, as you so eloquently wrote in Sports Illustrated, was the favorite after winning Wimbledon and then Cincinnati. She's playing like it. A number of other players uh, could win and escape here with a number one ranking. Number one uh, among them is top seed Karolina Pliskova. She's still in the tournament. Venus Williams, as we record this anyway, is still in the tournament. So uh, we knew the women's draw was wide open. I, w- I would say the men's draw, ironically enough, has probably furnished us with more surprises. It is way more wide open in the men's draw than in the women's, which is crazy to say. The entire bottom half of the men's draw, as of today, we can even probably later today, it will be the same, is completely chaotic. I mean, anyone can win. 
Sam Query is the only remaining slam semifinalist. Um, So we're definitely going to have a new major finalist. Um, And it just seems like anyone can win. We have have a Zarev brother, except now Misha has a chance to, to go far. John Isner is on that list. He plays tonight. It's been, uh, we, we talked about this on Tennis Channel about three hours ago, and some, one of my colleagues said, well, if nothing else, we're, don't forget Marin Cilic. He's won this event. He just got done with the Wimbledon final. Maybe he'll be the one to add some order to this chaos. Well, as we record this now, uh, Cilic is out having lost to Diego Schwartzman. Uh, you lose one major to uh, Roger Federer in the final. <laughs> Of Wimbledon, you come to the next one and you're out to Diego Schwartzman. That's what kind of tournament it's been. And I think the other irony is that the hot players this summer, Grigor Dimitrov, uh, as you say, Sasha Zverev, chief among them, they are out of this tournament. Nikirios was bounced out of this tournament, though I think we need to qualify that. The singles draw, if you can believe it, Nick Kyrgios, who claimed to have been numb in his serving arm during a singles match, Stuck around for doubles, one in three sets. I saw him walk off the court or, or limp off the court. Um, he gracefully declined to pose for a selfie with a fan because, quote, I'm too hurt, mate. And yet he's playing tennis and now is uh, facing the Bryan brothers Saturday in doubles. Again, it's been that kind of tournament. And added to all of this, the two favorites, Roger Federer and Rafa Nadal, who are trying to uh, sweep between the two of them, sweep the slams this year. They are both still alive, but neither of them has looked particularly sharp, especially Federer, who has played five sets in each of his first two matches. Any insight as to what the reason is that for those two players? I mean, we know Roger came in with the back kind of being a little questionable. Um, You know, he doesn't really talk about it. You know, he says he's fine, says it's warming up, it's getting better. He's a a pro's pro when it comes to that. But, um, you know, Nadal last night... That scoreline did not really – if you saw the, saw the scoreline, you said, all right, he had a slow start. He kind of, you know, pulled it out in the end. But that was not an was easy not win. Um, what – any insight? What's happening? You know, with, with Federer, I, I feel like tennis players in particular are sort of damned if they do, damned if they don't. Um, if they say, listen, my, my back is really only 80% and it's not loosening up the way I'd hoped and it's compromised my movement, A, it seems like an excuse, and B, more importantly – that seems uh, like something the opponent might be fired up with confidence. So you, you want to sort of play it close to the vest. At the same time, Federer saying his back is fine also seems uh, a little difficult to believe. It just sort of fails the, the eye test. This is not, he's not moving like the guy who won Wimbledon or won the, the previous hard court events in Indian Wells in Miami. And I think with Nadal, he just, I, I'm not sure he loves this court, even though we're, we're keep. We keep hearing how slowly this court that was only repaved nine days ago is playing. Um, I think there might be some nerves. I think Nadal also knows that, I don't want to say it's his tournament to lose, but in many ways he's the favorite with Murray not here, with you know, just going to go down the names that we all know, right? With Djokovic not here, with Murray not here, with Chilich. I mean, ironically enough, Nadal is the last player still in the draw to have won this event. No Stan Wawrinka, no Nishikori. Um, I, don't, I wouldn't say this is Nadal's tournament to lose, but he certainly is the favorite, especially with a compromised Federer. Maybe that, the first thing Nadal said last night when he got off the court, first quote of the press conference was an admission of nerves. So uh, I, th- I thought that was interesting. Um, do you but think, it's been wacky so far. Do you think, uh, you know, Nadal kind of 
complained a little bit, made some comments about Arthur Ashe and the the noise. It seemed to bother Nadal again last night. Sort of seemed to bother Federer a little bit. Do you think the nerves and the noise go together when they, I mean they both have been playing on on the big courts. You know, they've got Federer's got another night match under the lights tomorrow. Especially with the stars not here, with Serena not here, Murray Djokovic, Federer and Nadal came to this event knowing that they were going to play every single match on Ash. Then it just became a question of, of adapting to one court. And I think that with the repaving, which again, I think this is very strange. I mean, this court was only repaved three, four days before play started. Um, I, I mean, I think some of this with Nadal is he's very particular to begin with. I think this gives him a little bit of fuel, but it's funny, he mentioned the noise. And then Federer was asked the same question. And if Federer happens to say, yeah, the noise is really an issue, this suddenly becomes a controversy. Instead, Federer said, I, I liked it. It gave the place a certain energy, and suddenly the controversy was diffused. But um, I, I'm feeling, you know, Nadal has not had great success. We keep hearing how many years it's been since his last hardcourt tournament, never mind uh, hardcourt major, which um, came here in 2011. Remember, he played the final of the Australian Open, but then lost to Federer. He played well in Indian Wells, but lost to Federer. Played well in Miami, then lost to Federer. He knows what is going on here. And again, I think Nadal comes in here with a fair amount of pressure. We'll see what happens in, in week two. But I, I just think from just sort of backing up from a 35,000 foot view, this has been an interesting year with Federer Nadal's resurgence, Serena winning and then going on maternity leave. The, comeback of Maria Sharapova, but everything has gotten very screwed. I mean, this, this whole event from the very first night match at Ash, which was Maria Sharapova beating the second seed, to Federer playing 10 sets in two matches, to Nadal looking very pedestrian against not formidable foes. It's, it's been a really, it's been a really strange tournament so far. And it's weird because I think coming in, we talked about the, you know, the depleted fields, and I was going to ask about this, I thought this was interesting. The tickets for grounds passes, U.S. Open tickets, they put out a notice, are sold out until, I think, three days from now, you know, till basically until the semifinals. Right. So coming in, we had sort of this, oh, you know, are people going to want to pay attention? There's no Serena. It's only, you know, no Djokovic, no Vavrinka. There's no finalists. You know, everyone's hurt, all this stuff. And we have more people watching than ever. Not it's a bad thing, but I mean. No, I think I think it bodes well for what tennis is going to be like in whenever it is, five years, ten years. Uh, we always wonder about life after the stars, and we got a nice sense of it on uh, when, the days all blend together here. On Wednesday, we had we had rain on Tuesday, so Wednesday we had this massive session, and people were saying it's the best session in the history of tennis, and there were ninety some odd matches, and the fans loved it, and record crowds. Well, you know what? Rafa Nadal practiced early and was out of here by lunchtime. Serena Williams was uh, making her way, uh, you know, <laughs> anticipating packing labor. Her bag yeah, into packing the her hospital bag, exactly. Bag. And, uh, and Roger Federer was hitting balls in Central Park, and we still had this great day. So the U.S. Open is, is it, it's a great 10-pole event. I mean, if you, honestly, if you and I were playing a night match, they'd probably sell 15,000 tickets. <laughs> 14,000. Um, generous. So part of this is just, you build an event and people are going to come no matter who's playing. But no, it's, uh, I mean, the, the flip side of all this, the injury absences and the Serena absence and the upsets is that it does give the stage to other players. And if one of the upshots of this event is Sloane Stevens becomes a household name or Denis Shapovalov, who just won and reached the fourth round as a qualifier. I mean, this guy's played three matches played, already. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. This guy's this is a sixth match. He had to play three matches, as you say, just to get in the main draw. If one of the 
sort of upshots of this event is that so many new players are getting extra exposure, that's that's probably a good thing in the grand scheme of things. I mean, I think that um, Zverev losing. Someone had just asked me this. They said, "Name your top five upsets." I, I think, you know, without being too cute and saying, "Oh, you know, we we haven't had a malfunction of the roof." I mean, if we're limiting this to tennis as far as upsets go, um, I, I probably would put Dimitrov first, just because he was really. Circled before the tournament as, as a guy who people thought, this is a guy who could sneak through. He won Cincinnati. Is he finally ready? He's you know, now close to his late 20s. He erases um, it all. And yeah, exactly. It was, it was fool's gold. And I think Zverev losing a four-set match is a surprise, but he's 20 years old. He lost to Chorich, who's another up-and-coming talent. Federer losing 10, you know, Federer playing 10 sets and losing four of them is, is probably an upset in its way. But... Um, you know, again, we'll we'll see what week two uh, brings with it. It's a pity, Federer and Nadal are are on the same side of the draw, but if nothing else, that's that's a hell of a semifinal, and we'll see. I mean, Federer playing in Central Park was an event. I actually heard a funny story that players are now calling the USTA saying, "How do I track it?" And said, "Why can't I use that court?" So Monfils and Svitolina, a number of players, have already uh, been lobbying to practice in Central Park. I, I have practiced in Central Park. I think the USTA is onto something. Why not have a daily practice session in Manhattan? And well, just, hey, listen, off. listen, at one o'clock, a uh, star in the main draw of the US Open is going to be practicing here. We can't guarantee you it is. It might might not be Federer, but it might be Francis Tiafoe. Well, be a nice little, uh, nice little event, right? You got to take that back to the office. That's a good one. Uh, what about someone else who's sort of played all matches on Ash. So you said Roger Federer and Rafa Nadal come in. They know they're going to play all their matches on the center court. Maria Sharapova yeah, has gotten the right. nod, um, you know, and she'll be playing against Knight versus uh, what I've seen written as her mini-me, uh, you know, young American player. No, Sophia Kevin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, she wins. She gets another nod for, you know, as the the tournament goes on she will probably keep playing there she's in prime time tonight uh what do you make of sort of her comeback here i mean it's what sort of i, I mean i feel like we could, we could do a whole separate podcast about the ickiness of uh, <laughs> this whole situation and what's performance enhancing and botched public relations and diabetes we could we could do but i think as far as this tournament goes the tournament has a discretion to give this wild card to whoever it wants. That Maria is not, as some players have said, coming off the banned list. She was off the banned list in April. I mean, she's been injured for most mm-hmm. of the past four months. I don't have a problem with this this wild card. Uh, the, the French Open was a different story. Now we're talking about an injured former champion. I mean, if, if it weren't for her injury, Maria Sharapova on ranking would have qualified. This wouldn't be a discussion. So we're really basing this wild card on injury. I think it's totally reasonable to give... Hall of Fame player, career slam, former champion here, a wild card. She's made the most of it. And if you have Maria Sharapova in the draw, what do you? I mean, put her put her in New Jersey. I mean, what are you what are you supposed to do? She uh, she's a star. She sells tickets. She's won five majors. Um, I, I think this this whole doping situation I think is is ugly business. I think that this victim posture is really off-putting. I think the PR on this has been abysmal, but as far as Maria Sharapova at the U.S. Open, no problem with the wild card, no problem with the court assignments. And she... disagree? No, no, I'm... She's asking the question. As you said, she, I think now, goes on that contender list. Yeah, I mean, she justified the wild card with her play, 
And I think she's got to be really happy with, with her level of play, with her movement, but also just the physical recovery. I mean, you, she played 10 matches in zero majors since January of 2016. That's not a lot of tennis. So for her to play a three-setter, it's very intense. I mean, you can't simulate that intensity in practice, that Holop match. Mm-hmm. For her to play that match, win that match, play so well, beat the number two player, and then come back on less than 48 hours rest yeah. and win another three-setter... That, to me, is really, that's impressive stuff. And emotionally, that Hallett match had to take a lot That's a great point. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's one thing, you know, the the physical side of it. You know, you go get your ice bath, you get your massage, you get good food in you, you get a good night's sleep, and that sort of takes care of your your body is, you know, muscle memory with that. But emotionally, I mean, she was, like, half crying, half laughing, sitting in the chair after that win. I'll give you you another one, too. What about... uh, the sleep and the rhythms, that that was a late, late match. Remember there was the, I wanted to say, I wanted to say Anne Murray, Shania Twain. (laughs) I get these Canadian crooners all uh, confused, but there was a Shania Twain opening night ceremony, the match gets on, Maria finishes about 11 o'clock, and by the time she does her cool down and does her media, she was tweeting at 4 something a.m. I was gonna say, 3, 4 a.m. She was sending tweets at 4 a.m., right? So she probably, you know, go to sleep when the sun comes up, that also takes something out of you. So, I mean, that's what makes these tournaments sort of special and different and wacky. But for Maria Sharapova to come back, you're, you're, I think that's a really good point. From the emotional intensity of that win, and it's her first time on a big court. She doesn't know how the crowd, I and mean, she's, you know, she's a, become this polarizing figure. She didn't know how the crowd was going to respond. She didn't know how her game was going to respond. Yeah. Very emotional to win that. And then to come back again and win that second backup match. It's like when the young kid goes and beats you, pulls off the upset, and I mean, pick your, when, you know, Dennis Shapovalov beats uh, Nadal in uh, in Montreal, yeah. but then wins his next match, the backup match. Mm-hmm. That's almost as impressive as beating Nadal. So I think Maria's got to be very happy. Again, the crazy thing about, some of it is just the rhythm of slams, but some of it is this tournament in particular. By the time you listen to this, Maria Sharapova may well have bombed out of this tournament and... Uh, but she made herself. Her match, but she she sent a message. She and she made herself a headline and a storyline. Even if you know she loses in the first round, we're not talking about Maria Sharapova. You know, for the rest of the tournament. I'll, but I'll now give you, I'll give you a worse one. Sorry to cut you off. I'll give you a worse one. If she loses in the first round, there is, and not, I don't think this is just the deep recesses of Twitter. I think if she loses in the first round, there is a large cohort of the tennis community that says, "Oh, now that." The Meldonium's out of the picture. She's struggling to win matches. I mean, this comeback has not been smashing until New York, and some of it is injury-related, but, you know, I mean, she she lost, I, I think, check me on this. This was her record coming in, I think, was 6-4 and four in the year. I think this was her 10th match. I mean, this has not been a smashing No, she comeback. she pulled out of it with injury from a lot of tournaments. You know, she did she played a few and then, and then retired because, you know, as you were saying, for her, she just didn't have the fitness or, you know, the legs to go through even after winning a match so right. and she had the, the off arm injury but if, if she had laid an egg against Hollow, there is and, and I know this from other players I mean I know this from yes from Twitter but also from talking to people here there is no small contingent of, of people that wonder boy now that there's no Meldonium in the picture because that exact you know is that exactly a price on her game so she's got to take the court with that as well not only she has something to prove being back but there's skeptics who wondered, boy, those results have really tailed off for Maria once she came back. Could, could it be true that now that uh, 
there's no meldonium dosage, that's, that's taking a price on her game. So she's put that, obviously, to rest, and suddenly this becomes a very different story than it was a week ago. Definitely. As you, uh, as you say that, Garbinia Muguruza has just advanced to the fourth round. Oh, I thought six, you were going to say... 6-1, uh, 6-1. Six, one, right, six, one. Right, so she... Same, I think it's the same scoreline as Wimbledon. You're checking scores as we do this, Jamie. That is impressive. Good. I thought you were going to say we were going to have a... <clears throat> no, no. She right. is, no. She's so. through. So she's another one who... And she. I think she sort of benefited in a weird way from that 87-match day because she, she finished her match. It was definitely close to midnight on Wednesday. But it was quick. She got it done. And nobody really even blinked an eye. So, you know, in Wimbledon, she sort of quietly snuck her way through. um, And I think that's how she preferred it. And I think the rain and the rain out sort of helped her because now she's in the fourth round. I don't think she's, you know, done much press, had to answer too many questions about things. And I think for her, even though she's trying to manage those expectations, that's sort of that sort of helps her. She gets Petra Kvitova next, which was an interesting matchup of uh, a pair of two-time Grand Slam champions, obviously a different points in their career with different backstories. And then, you know, if you look at the draw, potentially a quarterfinal against Venus, which obviously mm-hmm. would be a replay of the Wimbledon final. So lots of possibilities, lots of permutations, lots of tennis to be played. But uh, through five days, it's been a while since I've seen a slam break. Uh, so crazily. Through four days, really. I mean, yeah, exactly. we've got a. They've U.S. Open has created the uh, first Tuesday break. Why don't we just play right, eighty-seven yeah, exactly. matches? Uh, you know, take the take the second day off. And... I like that idea. <laughs> we, we have a room, so TV will get its fill. But otherwise, uh, Wednesday, ninety percent of the players in the draw take the court. I like that idea. I don't. <laughs> yeah, you're you're grinding. Um, what else should we hit? I think that's it. You got anything else? Right. We'll do Any, this again. Uh, uh, we'll do this again in a few days when uh, the storylines will be completely and utterly different. But right <laughs> now, I would say headlines. I don't know. I mean, I think probably Mugu and Sharapova on the women's side, Federer and Nadal alive, but hardly playing A level tennis. And yet again, they you don't exactly the... have to beat a murderer's row to. Uh, for either one of them to. You've got the youngins on the men's side and the comeback players and. Sloan Stevens, Patrick Roda on the women's well, side. All right. We haven't, uh, maybe next time, we, we haven't spoken about Azarenka. We haven't spoken about our absentee men, Andy Murray, uh, Djokovic, last year's champion of Renka. Um, but, you know, again, as you say, big big opportunities come with, uh, with big gaps in the draw. All right. Very good. That does it. All right. Thanks. That was our... <laughs> podcast live from the U.S. Open. This is the first one. We'll try and do uh, at least another one, maybe two. Um, Again, crazy tournament. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Thanks for your suggestions. We'll get back to the guests after this tournament. Uh, Meanwhile, enjoy week two of the final major, and uh, thanks for listening.